0: Hello, my name is Dennis Orbey. I'm an avid Japanese retro game collector. And you're listening to Scene World Podcast. Welcome to the World Podcast. This is, well, Frank, obviously, <laughs> and me. And in a minute when Frank is sharpened again by autofocus, <laughs> then after the news, I will jump to talk to Gundislav Games, which is done by Francisco Gonzales, And um, yeah. But before that, we have some news. That we do. And uh, yeah.
1: So um, I don't know. Do you have some news yourself? or uh, Well, I mean, we could just start off with uh, like what we... What we talked about before the podcast started, um, I we'll start it out with some some good news because I know we have some sad news to talk about later on. But uh, right,
0: right, yeah. Well, <laughs> the good news is one of our staffers, Nick Vivid, also co- also known for all all this, is now on his um, Japan's tour, going Toku uh Tokyo and beyond. And, well, I mean, he's a known musician, mostly in New York, and now he's doing his Japan tour, so that's nice. Um, Yeah, it's surprising you said you couldn't read it because it's by the uh, publication Rock and Roll,
1: which is actually a music magazine, so it should be a public post. And when I go to it, it says this content isn't available right now, so... Weird. Yeah, I I I couldn't access it. Did they change? Uh,
0: did they change the link?
1: I'm not no, sure, they. honestly. No,
0: they didn't. It still says um, it's available. Big announcement. Weird. Okay,
1: interesting. Yeah, that is weird. That's really strange.
0: Because it's from an official uh, rock and roll <laughs> page. Anyway, anyway. So that's that. And the other good news is, Jordan... Maschner, the one known for uh, Prince of Persia and so on and so forth, has finally released his book in French first, unfortunately, I would say because I don't know French,
1: but it's available now. Congratulations to that. Yeah, that's really yeah. cool. And and I noticed that uh like in his description he mentions that uh he goes into like his family's history with the world with two world wars and his own personal experience and how that shaped the the games that he would end up making. So I think it's definitely gonna be a cool read, especially when it comes out in English.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yes. For me. Uh, yeah. I, I pissed I pissed off some some um French YouTuber once by telling her, you know, in reality, English is the only important language anyway. That's totally I, I, nature. I
1: disagree with that. But, I mean, if you want to reach a broader audience, uh, I feel like English is the more standardized language across the world. So, I feel exactly. like just to reach a broader audience, English is probably the good call.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yes.
1: Well, and the other good news,
0: this time, also from France is there's a new Kickstarter for an online AES game, which is amazing because it's a brawler called SuperTill Pro. (laughs) And actually on the each I.O. page, they made an emulator on top in their little virtual screen. And when you click on that, you can actually play it already with the online functionality with friends of yours. So you can already have a look. Before pledging for the Kickstarter physical release, if you like.
1: Yeah, I actually I checked that out a little while ago myself. You did? Yeah, I just opened up its uh his his itch page is called Broke Studio. And if you pull it up, you can pull up Super Tilt Bro. And it's it's a lot of fun. You can just play it right from the browser, but I also downloaded the ROM that he had available. Uh, I'm, I'm but, definitely considering picking up the full release when he yeah. when he drops it. Because it's coming out on an official NES cartridge. So Or not an official, but it, it's going to be on an actual <laughs> NES cartridge. Playable on actual official hardware. Yeah, And that's I'm, amazing. I'm all about that. I that's love amazing. Smash Bros. And uh, for those who aren't aware of it, it's literally a remake of Super Smash Bros. Obviously, it doesn't have Nintendo characters. They created their own custom ones to go along with the game. But, but, but they also have some new ones like Simbat the Pirate. That's a known one. Yeah, see, I didn't know that one myself. But to be fair, I also only played um, the the version that he had on his itch page. And there was only, I believe, three or four playable characters at the time. So I'm not sure if the final release is going to have more than that. But either way, it's it's still a lot of fun. Oh, uh, yeah, you are right. Originally, it's called Sinbad the Sailor.
0: That's the original character. So they turned it into
1: Sinbad the Pirate. That makes sense, though, just to get get around the copyright, you know, involved with it. Yeah. And in the game, he isn't Caucasian, but green. So... I mean, it 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 makes total sense though. If it's something that I mean, he wants to be able to sell his game, and if you're using the IP of characters you don't own or don't have the license to, that can't happen. So, but stay cool close to, enough. Stay close enough. Close enough. I mean, people people <laughs> who are gonna know the character are gonna get the reference right then and there. But like
0: like I did, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly, yeah. And and see, like, and I didn't notice the reference, for example. So it's just enough to skate by. You are too young, my boy. <laughs> Sorry to say. <laughs> I play yes. old games. I do play uh, old games. But, you know, there's going to be a pretty big gap of my knowledge.
0: At least when it comes to cartoons and stuff. At least from from those old 70s, 80s era, probably.
1: I mean, I watched some 80s cartoons, but yeah, 90s would have been mostly my era.
0: Yeah, yeah. I even don't remember where it's, where it's coming from, but I think it's pretty, pretty old. Um, I mean, Sinbad the Sailor, let's see. From when is that? Um, oh, it's
1: from a 1947 film. Okay, well, there you go, 1947. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... I'll research it after this podcast, yeah. though, because now yeah. now I'm curious what, what this Sinbad's all about. So we'll see <laughs> yeah. after.
0: Yeah.
1: So 1947. Oh, my God.
0: Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's what it's based off. Yeah. And then they made a series, Adventure of Sinbad the Sailor. Oh, not a series. It's actually... Yeah, it's a series. And then they made another movie, Sinbad, from 1992. Yeah. And that's and that's actually a cartoon from Japan and USA so co-production yeah yeah so uh, and and of course i know it from the 1992 release from the from the cartoonish movie
1: no well, that would make yeah. sense the yeah. more the more modern incarnation
0: exactly exactly
1: yeah well anyway nice reference
0: yes well and um well And you mentioned it, the sad news is that one of those gaming archives, unfortunately, closed.
1: One of the big Uh, ones, unfortunately. Yeah,
0: Forest of Illusion. They announced on Twitter and on their archive collection page that they no longer have the time to actually um, go on with that.
1: Yeah, it's it's really a shame because uh, I I've been following Forest of Illusion for quite some time and uh, they they like like we mentioned in the beginning of this they were one of the big ones uh, one of the big preservation organizations and it's sad uh, the saddest thing for me is that all of the information everything that they have done throughout the years it's as of right now it's seemingly gone I mean I believe uh, there is some of it is archived through archive.org but is it gone really because I, I understood it like the whole archive is
0: an archive.org or was I mistaken?
1: I, I Like I said, I assume that it's backed up through archive.org um, because I, I think the website itself is down. I'm going to double mm. check on that right now. Mm. But.
0: Because on their announcement on the archive.org page, with, which they linked to on their tweet – they actually mention that all the content from the past will stay there.
1: Yeah, that's what it's looking like right here that you can view everything from archive.org. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Ah, oh, maybe not, though. Because if you look up Forest of Illusion on Internet Archive, there's only a couple things.
0: But if you go from the original. If you go from the original maybe the original link. tweet yeah from the original tweet to the link that's the thing with archive.org finding something in the search engine can be troublesome but if you have a if you have a direct collection i just sent you the link then it's actually you actually have it all if you click on forest of illusion on the upper right ah uh, sorry downer right you you actually get um, the whole collection of 572 items.
1: Nice. Well, I'm glad everything's been backed up. Um, so. so at least at least all of their efforts in the past have not been for naught. Uh, I'm just exactly. I'm, I'm really hoping that this isn't gonna start a trend of other organizations uh, doing similar things getting shut true, down true. or yeah. because
2: the, or giving the way up.
1: That they, yeah, the way that they tweeted it, though, I feel like there's more to it than mm. what is being said. I feel like there might be something internally that was conflicting them from continuing. I'm not sure. I haven't researched much into it myself. Um, I just know about as much as everybody else from the tweets right now. Right. But hopefully, hopefully like uh, like the Video Game History Foundation, hopefully they can stay afloat and they can... <laughs> Kind of fill in the you know the gaps of what Forest of Illusion offered us. It's just a shame. True, true. Yeah, and uh, last but not least, the
0: last news is actually that uh, the Employees Thirteen team changed, and the Twitter and um, the backing changed. Now it's moved from Kickstarter to Indiegogo, which is interesting because. Um I interviewed them like two podcasts ago and then they 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 said like okay we changed you know the responsible person and interesting thing is that um Ellie McKay the one who was responsible for kickstarting it Indiegogoing the book from uh, Captain Crunch, now is the same project lead for the movie. So, um, well, I was told by Ellie that she will get back to me with news
1: as soon as she has them, but that's what I have so far. Yeah, so just got to wait up on some more information. Exactly, yeah. And
0: that would be all.
1: (laughs) And now we can move to...
0: Francisco Gonzalez and learn about how he founded and why he founded Krundeslav Games. Enjoy. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Well, I'm, I'm really happy you took the time. I mean, uh, perhaps you saw I interviewed some other adventure creators before you, and I was told, like, oh, Francisco, he is such a celebrity in the adventure. Oh, my God. <laughs> 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 adventure, and. and adventure games creator scene and anyway. uh, no you're not okay well i
3: mean uh, the people are very kind i know that i saw that you interviewed julia minamata and she's That's always the, very he's very, very the nice one
0: who said it yeah. like, he's like he's half a celebrity i'm like okay <laughs> <laughs>
3: i mean i don't know about celebrity i've definitely been around for a long time but i don't know about celebrity but thank you for having me i'm i'm very happy to
0: to speak to you no problem um, Welcome yeah. to the show. Thank you. So you are actually uh, from, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, Gundaslav Games? Gundaslav- Grundislav. Grundislav. Grundislav Games. Games. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so and I guess are, I'll, I'll answer, I'll answer
3: the question that everybody asks, which is what does Grundislav mean? And it, according to my 11th grade history teacher, Grundislav was the ancient Germanic form of Gonzalez. Although I have since learned that it's actually Grundislav, so I don't know. He, I guess, he must have gotten it wrong. But one day he had written on the blackboard, Gonzalez equals Grundislav. So everybody in in my class started calling me Grundislav, and it was my nickname. And then when I went online in the late '90s, early 2000s, I decided to use it as my handle for everything. And then when I started
0: making games, I thought, all right, well, grundislav <clears throat> Games. It's alliteration, so. Yeah, I actually read that this time you started making games was um, two thousand one. Is that correct? Yeah, that's a, that's when I started
3: making games with Adventure Game Studio. Yeah, I had started I had messed around with like Click and Play, in about nineteen ninety eight or so because a friend of mine gave me a box copy of Click and Play and I used it to make a bunch of like, stupid little games making fun of my teachers and uh. and it was actually it's funny because at that time on America Online. There was like, uh, I don't even remember what they were. They weren't really like forums. I guess they were like groups where people would upload their games. And there was some people who had made a, a parody of Monkey Island called The Secret of Brother Island, and they had made it in Click and Play. And it was kind of point and click, but not really because you couldn't really do point and click in Click and Play like as you would expect to. Like you can click, you could click and like make the character sort of float. Towards a point, but it wasn't like as precise as something like adventure game studio. so anyway, I tried making adventure games in click and play and that didn't really work very well so so yeah, in 2001 was when I found adventure game studio and I started using it and never looked back really
0: <laughs> yeah actually I found I found a page from the indie booth. Of Gamescom 2019, and it, mm. it says that actually you started um, making games professionally, so as an income generation, uh, generating thing, I guess, in uh, 2012, right? Yep, that was when, well, 2013.
3: Yeah, 2013 okay. was, I st- my first commercial game was a Golden Wake, which I know you played because you messaged me about it. I,
0: yeah, you and found it. Was a, like, you found and bugs. It was like, And I was like, this game is so old and didn't receive updates in, like, five years. He will probably just ignore my email. And you were replying to me within four hours or something? Like, yeah, I will look into it. I'm like, hey, he wrote, he will look into it. That was totally a surprise to me.
3: Well, I'm glad that someone was still playing and finding things to fix all these years on. But, yeah, so I started working on a Golden Wake in... I guess I really started working on it in about 2012. Cause I got the idea for it in like 2009, but I didn't actually start working on it until 2012. And then in 2013 was when I moved to New York and I decided to quit my day job and do it full time. And then yeah, it came out in 2014. So so yeah, 2012, 2013 was about when I decided to to become a full-time indie. And I've been very lucky that I've been able to sustain myself with that as a as a career since then.
0: And that is why people like Julia Minamata say you are half a celebrity because you made <laughs> you made I you mean, made your tr- your dream come true in this. I guess, aspect, I, you know. Yeah, I mean, if that's what it takes to
3: be a celebrity, I'll take it. Sure. Why not?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing is, the thing is, um, with the golden wake you mentioned it. The thing is, I actually had to use a dictionary to f- to. F- learn new words because in that area back then people really talk different you know oh yeah sure sure yeah
3: like the 1920s slang yeah that was that was a lot of fun to to write and and research yeah um did you what did did you learn any new words that you incorporated into your
0: vocabulary? None, not not oh. really in the way okay. I talk. No, you're not going <laughs> no. around going
3: horse feathers and confusing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, okay. But but the interesting thing is is that um, adventure creating started for you with click and play and stuff. Uh, yeah. What was actually your first touching point with computers?
3: Um. I want to say it was probably when I was about 10 years old. So around 1992, um, I I had grown up when I was a kid. We had an Atari 2600. Oh, and, Atari. Yeah. yeah, but that got, it was like our house got b- broken into and it was stolen when I was like four wow. or five. Yeah, so I didn't have it for very long. Um, and I, I I remember I used to play like, obviously the 8-bit NES and the Sega Master System. Actually, I had a Sega Master System before the NES, but when we actually got a PC, PC, I remember, I think I was like in fourth grade? So yeah, that would have been about 91. We had a we had a 286, which I used to play like Commander Keen on, because I had a cousin who was really into computers, and so she got us uh, like a second-hand computer with like a dot matrix printer and all that stuff. I remember the the first printer we had was called a gorilla. The brand name was called like Gorilla Banana or something like that. It was really weird. Okay. And so, and so I had uh I had that 286, which was very slow, and it had a PC speaker. And I remember playing like Hugo's House of Horrors, which was one of the earliest PC adventure games I remember playing because the first Sierra piece uh, Sierra adventure game I played was King's Quest V, but on the NES. So then I played King's Quest IV. I got King's Quest IV for Christmas one year, and I was playing it on my 286 with the little PC speaker and everything. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is cool. This is nice. This is fun. And then my cousin was like, oh, there's a computer fair. Let's go upgrade your machine. So it got, we upgraded to a 486.
2: Wow. With
3: a sound card. And I heard King's Quest IV's music for the first time, and I was like, Wow. So I I remember I faked being sick at school so that I could come home and play on the computer. Wow. <laughs> and then my mom found out I was faking and she got really mad and she punished me and I couldn't use the computer. So it backfired. But that would have been that would have been when I was yeah in fourth grade. So that would have been about 1991 or so. So, yeah, I would say like late 90s or I'm sorry, late 80s, early 90s was when I got my first start on computers.
0: And the flag behind you is a play on Monkey Island?
3: Oh, this is just a pirate flag that I've had forever. It used to hang on my ceiling back home in Miami. And then when I moved to New York, it was a curtain for a window that didn't have a curtain. And now it's just a decoration here in my, in my basement uh, home office slash dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's not specifically, it's not specifically related to Monkey Island. It just happens to be a skull and
0: crossbones pirate flag. It's interesting, interesting. Um, so, so I actually I I read that um, you publish you publish your games by Application Systems Heidelberg, which is actually a name of the city close to me here in Germany. Oh, so I you actually just, have a yeah. German publisher? Yeah, yeah.
3: The last, uh, well, my my previous game, Lamp Light City, and, the, and currently Rosewater, yes, are being published by. Uh, application Systems Heidelberg. I actually was in Heidelberg uh, just last uh, November. I went to visit. It was very lovely. Um, awesome. And then I went to Frankfurt for a day, which was. Will you also... be at
0: Gamescom this year?
3: I will not be at Gamescom uh, this year. No, unfortunately. Yeah, I'll be at Adventure X, but not at not at Gamescom. I've I've never I've never made the 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 trip to Gamescom. It's it's a little intimidating, and especially now post-Covid, like, I, I just, I don't like being in giant, crowded th- the conventions anyway, and now even mm-hmm. less so, but whatever, but yeah, no,
0: so is quite a word,
3: right? Yeah, 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 it's way bigger, I mean, the biggest one I've been to is probably either GDC or PAX East or West, one of those, and that was overwhelming enough. I can't imagine a, a show the scale of Gamescom. But yes, I do have a German publisher, yes, Um, and they've been very good to me, and they have also uh, localized my games to German, so that's fun, because, as they say, Adventure Games never died, they just went on holiday in Germany. Um, There's a lot of Adventure fans in Germany, which is great, so.
0: Well, I played all (laughs) your games in in English, I have to admit. Okay, well, that's fine. I'm not a fan of translation, you know. (laughs) <laughs> it's funny
3: you say that because I've I've come to notice like I always felt bad before because I never I mean obviously localizing games especially adventure games that have thousands and thousands and thousands of lines of dialogue is no easy task and you often get people saying oh I'll do it for free and that I always say thank you but no I'm I'm not going to make you work for free on something that's going to take so long and you know it's funny because it's like people ask for for the the translations into their languages and I feel bad not being able to provide that, but then at the same time I've also learned that there are certain markets where they will play the game in English anyway, but they get mad if it doesn't have a localization. So it's like, they want you to take the time to localize the game so that they know that you care about them and their language, which I get. But then they play the game the game in English anyway. So it's like, okay, i I I would love to accommodate you, but I also don't want to spend thousands of dollars for something that is just like you know it's there, but you're never gonna use it. So
0: Isn't that something now that you mentioned it that's happened to to Ron Gilbert and, and his yeah. Monkey Island? He put it on the German market without translating it to German and the Germans were really mad on it. I know it because um, because other adventure creators I know, I interviewed, they, they told me about it. And I was like, I didn't notice because I didn't even try to play it in German, so I didn't even right. see that something was missing. But obviously, um, the publisher tried to, well, as I said, save, save some money for localization, and um, the Germans were not happy with it, you know. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, you are yeah. talking about a game um, that, that rooted in the 90s, and... Uh, Perhaps not everybody from that year from that age group knows English, or True. at least to a to a to a degree where. And you also have other then you also have other examples like that 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 adventure I always forget the name of from the Argentinians. Um, that recently even won awards and was originally a kickstarter Um, oh is
3: it the the tango one
0: no no uh Uh, let me let me just look in my library for a second um uh, i i i think it was unusual findings oh
3: unusual findings oh yeah 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 i didn't realize the team was argentinian okay
0: yeah which is actually the reason why the game is only available in English and, and Russian, because the publisher is originally from Russia, uh, but, but okay. then moved to Cyprus, according okay. to their homepage. And um, it's, it's super weird, because their, their English translation is so flawed at, at places. Oh, really? And they, they never fix it. And oh. they just ignore any emails ever since. I mean, they won the awards, they got the Kickstarter money, the game is out, and major things like like the difference between if a door is locked or if a door is closed, oh, which is the yeah. difference, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Never, is, is not fixed. So sometimes well, yeah. you have a closed door and you can't open it because you don't know that it's actually locked and you need a key to unlock it, you know? That's interesting
3: that you mentioned that because I remember playing the uh, Frogwares Sherlock Holmes games and that happens a lot in, in those games, which they're, I believe, Frogwares is Ukrainian um, because I've heard, yeah, they, ha- they were having some issues recently with, uh, with the Awaken coming out and being delayed because of everything going on. Um, but yeah, one thing that I noticed was that, that when he would get to a locked door, he would always say, oh, it's closed and i you after a while you come to realize that he means oh it's locked but i didn't i didn't know if that was just like an idiosyncrasy between like american and english english or if it's just but it seems like maybe it's just a translation issue
0: so yeah yeah that's interesting and um yeah i i just i mean just to make a, t- a counter example to you 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 replied instantly when i reported bugs I sent them three emails, I didn't get any reply. I emailed oh. their publisher, no reply. Nothing, well, nothing. And I was like, do I really have to call to Argentina to get a reply, <laughs> you know? And, and, and on Steam, on the Steam forums, on the community boards, there are threats of people being mad at them for not okay. fixing obvious, obvious bugs, you know? I'm like, oh. that hurts so much. That hurts Game so much. Game development's hard. Game development yeah. is hard. That's all I can but, say. But but I guess it I guess it's an attitude like Kickstarter money is is there the game yeah. is out now we don't care anymore. Right. Uh, I mean yeah, at least you, at least that. you could fix at least you could fix you know uh, game breaking bugs, like, translation errors, especially since the game never was released in Spanish, so you couldn't say, like, okay, then I go yeah, back weird. to Spanish or something, like, no, it's just English and Russian, mm. and and it's, so you don't have even an alternative, you know, it's, it's not like you can go and play it in another language, which you perhaps understand, and then you don't have the translation error, it's all a bit, str- it's all a strange case, Um so I'm so I'm, I really appreciate your attitude of saying like, okay,' is, despite the game is ten years old or something, I, I will still go back and and yeah. reply there's... to the person um, offering me you know, buck reports.
3: yeah, because I mean, like you know, like I said, it's 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 especially nice to know that people are still playing it and still caring. It's not nice to know that there's still bugs that haven't been caught, but obviously that's what you do. But, you know, I, I try and do as best I can because, you know, my Ben Jordan games, for example, people always ask, oh, can you update them or can you put them on Steam? And I would love to, except I don't have the source code for them anymore because I lost, them, I lost that in a hard drive crash a while mm. ago. So I have all the assets. I just would have to literally rebuild all the games from scratch. And I really don't mm. feel like doing that.
2: So, mm.
3: so, I mean, they're still on itch and you can still play them, but I can't. I can't do anything with them. So, you
0: know. Now, let me ask you I've, I've ad- had experience with, with other adventure game system games that when they push an update via Steam,
2: <clears throat>
0: I had to restart the whole game because the game save states oh, wouldn't work yeah. anymore.
3: Yeah, that that's the thing that Adventure Game Studio is kind of notorious for. Um, it's it's certain things. It's like if you add new... Um, if you add any sort of like new global variable or any sort of like uh, uh, obviously any kind of, of new uh, like graphical assets, anything that changes like the data size of the game itself or anything like that, then yeah, it breaks previous save games. They've gotten a little bit better about that because they changed it so that it was only certain big things like that because it used to be any little change you made would break it. But you can get away with a little bit more now. Um, but yeah, that's that's one of the things I'm always very, very... I always make sure to like absolutely be sure that everything I need is is going to be in the game before I ship it because I don't want to be going back and doing that, especially like right after release. That's why when I released Lamplight City um it didn't have a commentary mode but it was all coded in it just wasn't activated because i knew i was going to do the commentary afterwards but all of the stuff that i needed to actually build the commentary mode that would have broken the game if i had if i had changed it later i I put that all in there so that i so then it was just a matter of turning it on um just setting a flag and that doesn't break the game so
0: yeah. Very much ahead forward thinking. That's nice. <laughs> um so, so let, so let me ask you. Um what was the turning point in your life? And what was the reason that you decided to go from hobby game creator for adventure games to full-time? And what was your plan? I mean, I mean, I mean, there are tons of adventures out there, and yeah you know and and you know and even even in german press when monkey island was released some some journalist titled titled an article like the first adventure game in 10 years and then like excuse yeah. me there are other yeah. adventure games by indie studios and you totally <laughs> forgot about those
3: yeah i don't i mean it's either they totally forgot or they just wanted to make people react by saying that or i don't know Whatever. But yeah, I mean, for me, I always I mean, I guess I got I, I guess I got sort of bitten by the creative bug when I started playing adventure games when I was a kid. And I always in the back of my mind thought it would be fun to make one, but I didn't have any programming experience and I didn't really have any any of the skills necessary to create a game. And then so when I found Adventure Game Studio, that's when I got excited that I could actually make a game i wasn't thinking about doing it as a job for a long time because obviously this was in the early 2000s it was kind of that point between the end of the 90s when sierra and lucasarts shut down and all of the big like sam and max freelance police got canceled and you know there was no there were no big game big adventure games coming out for during that time um I think, like, the first one I remember being excited about was Runaway in, like, 2003 from Pendulo. Um, so, yeah, the whole, the whole like, indie scene didn't really start up until about 2006 when Telltale came around. Because there had been one uh, commercial AGS game at that point. It was called The Adventures of Fat Man. And I actually did a voice for that game. Um, I played the villain. And I I forget what year that came out. But it was... It had to be early 2000s because I remember getting a CD version or a free CD copy of it when I was in college. So it has to have been like 2002, 2003 that that game came out. Um, And yeah, like, it's so weird to think about that happening before Steam was even a thing, right? Like, you know, how did people buy that? Back then people were afraid to give their credit card numbers on the Internet so so really the, the prospect of, of doing it for a living wasn't really something that I was thinking about. And then in 2006, like I said, the, the indie scene sort of happened and Telltale started and Wajidai started. And I knew Dave Gilbert from Wajidai because we had met through the AGS community and we had we had hung out together a few times. And then in 2000, so he started doing that and I was like, oh, that's cool. It would be nice to do that someday, but still thinking, hey, you know, i don't have the business savvy to do this and so i was still working on the ben jordan series so i i wanted to finish that before i had any thoughts about doing it uh for a living so then in 2008 or so uh why i started publishing and he said oh you know i would love to publish a game of yours. He was very nice to say that. I think it was mostly because I was one of the people in the community that had made more than one game and I could finish projects. And I I had a, you know, my my skills weren't great, but I had the skill, the most important skill which was I could finish projects in a reasonable amount of time. Cuz by that point I had made 6 or 7 of the 8 Ben Jordan games plus I think I had already remade one of them so I had made a lot of games at that point um but again it was 2008 and I had just started on Ben Jordan 8 and I also had a full-time job so I couldn't I couldn't uh, I mean I and I say full-time job as in I had like a 9 to 5 job because before I had worked at like Starbucks which was just like shift work and so I had again, nice. I had some free time you know but this was like Monday through Friday, nine to five. Come home. Last thing I want to do is get on the computer and make my, <laughs> game. my games. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah right. So there were there were times which where I didn't open Adventure Game Studio for like six months at a time, which is why Ben Jordan Eight took four years to get out. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so you know, as the years passed, I I started thinking about you know what I wanted to do, and at that time I was working as an as an interpreter, as English Spanish legal interpreter. And at that point, I was like, I guess this is going to be my career. Um, But then I started getting really, uh, let's say, disillusioned with the legal system and just kind of like having to see all these people. It's not a happy job, right? It's like you go to you're dealing with people who are dealing with lawsuits. Someone's always going to be angry, right? So it wasn't a great environment. And it started getting to me. And then I was like, well, you know what? I want to move to New York. Because I had wanted to move to New York since, it was, since like 2008. And so in 2013, I said, all right, this is going to be the year. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to take the vacation I've always wanted to take, which was Australia. And I'm going to move to New York. And I'm going to keep working as an interpreter if I can to make my money. And then seriously consider doing this indie dev thing. Because at that point, I had finished the Ben Jordan series. I had the idea for a Golden Wake. I had told Dave about it. He was interested in publishing it. So I was like, okay, I have all of this stuff setting up. Now I just have to figure out how to do it. So I went to Australia for uh, three weeks. It was a great vacation. And on the plane ride home, I thought, you know, I want to have a job. Like every time for the last however many years that I've been working, every time I'm able to go on a vacation and I come home, on the ride home, I'm always like, oh, God, I have to go back to work. Yeah. And I want to have a job where when I'm coming home from a vacation, I don't think, oh, I have to go back to work. I think, oh, good, I can go back to work again. So I was like, okay, well, that o- that job is obviously going to be indie dev. And so I said, okay, I'm going to take the plunge. I had saved up enough money to live for a year when I moved here. So I was like, I'm going to forget the interpreting thing. I'm just going to... Commit myself to finishing this game and getting it out within a year. And that was it. <laughs> that was where it went. That was the turning point.
0: And it worked out in the end because they're still doing it, it for a living. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a little touch and go at first
3: because the Golden Wake came out and it didn't do great. Um, but then I was very lucky that the way things had aligned, my next project, which was Shard Light, which I was planning on making with Ben Chandler. Uh, who, uh, who was who I had gone to visit in Australia because we had become friends at that point And we, I, you know, went and hung out with him there. We were going to make Shardlight together. And with the idea that Wajidai was going to publish it, but in the, in the period between he had become the full-time artist at Wajidai. So we had, Dave had to figure out a way how to have us both develop this project and how to make it work. If Ben was getting paid a full-time salary so he just said, Well, I'll just hire you as a full-time developer. So I had a steady paycheck throughout the development oh, of Sharply, nice. which yes, it was very nice because I would not have been able to make it work with just the royalties from a golden wake. So it was nice to have that that financial stability for a little while while working on that project.
0: Hmm. But but that ended at some point. And then you started with your next games and finally you didn't receive any paycheck from your friend anymore. Are are you still hired (laughs) full-time there? (laughs) No, no, no. So what happened
3: was, um, yeah, unfortunately, Shardlight came out and it turned out... I mean, I always kind of was surprised that that I was able to have that full-time position because unless you're very lucky, you know, indeed, adventure games don't sell an amazing amount and even if they sell well enough like you have to be making a pretty decent amount of money to have a full-time staff so i was very aware of the fact that my job was the most precarious because you know dave does art and or dave does design and writing which is what i do and ben does the art which is also what i do but so he dave needs an artist but he doesn't need another designer and writer so i was like okay well obviously my job is the most expendable so it wasn't any surprise that i got laid off after shardlight came up because, oh, okay. hmm. because he couldn't afford to keep paying me the salary understandably because you know and so that was that was kind of a bummer because you know i would have loved to have continued on but that's just the the financial reality of it Um, So at that point, I had already uh, had the idea and had already started working on Lamplight City. And Dave was like, "Okay, well, I can't pay you as a full time designer anymore, but I'd love to publish Lamplight City. So I was like, "Okay, good. So I was working on it and I would send him builds and stuff. But it became obvious that what the idea he had for the game was different to the idea I had for the game. Like I he he really wanted to lean more into like the steampunk and like the Jules Verne sort of thing which is fine, but that wasn't the game I was interested in making. And so we kind of realized that the changes that he was going to ask me to make would have been so much so that it would have been pretty much a different game. So we just said, okay, well, we'll just shake hands, walk away. It's all good. Fine. No problem. So that's what we did. Um, And then I really had to, like, hit the ground and do the actual indie thing of, like, emailing publishers and figuring out what to do because which in a way i'm very grateful that that happens because otherwise it was just kind of like i knew a guy he was very nice that's how i got my foot in the door which obviously i'm very grateful for but also you know i'm also grateful for the fact that i actually had to put in the work to to get somewhere else and i was lucky enough that i had a track record at that point so it made it a little easier it wasn't it wasn't easy by any means but eventually yeah i found a publisher and that publisher was application systems heidelberg and so we signed lamplight city and they published it and yeah that's that's where we've been since then we signed rosewater also so knock on wood i can continue that working relationship with them in the future
0: and what's the reason you decided to not go self-publishing like what many other adventure creators are doing
3: there was a few reasons one was that i didn't really want to deal with the um the hassle of all the self-promotion and marketing and all of that stuff i didn't want to deal with the business end of things second so i'm very
0: so i have to be very thankful that you agreed to be interviewed today because it's also kind of you know a pr side thing no
3: Oh no! Well, I mean, talking to people and and doing this PR stuff is fine. It's it's the business thing of like you know having to deal with Steam and having to worry about reaching out to press contacts and things like that. I, that's easier if someone else deals with it. <laughs> no, I love taking breaks and talking about my my games and stuff. It's it's great. Um. So so that was one reason. The other reason was financially, I wasn't in a spot at that point where. I felt I could self publish because I needed the next game to be you know to sell. So I didn't think I had enough reach. I still don't think I have enough reach, you know. It's it's different. I mean, I had an audience, but I didn't I thought it would be a lot more difficult to just be like, "Hey, here's my game" rather than have a publisher that could back me and like take it to shows and talk to press and things like that for me. So that was that was the main reason. Um I still I still just the idea of self publishing
0: makes me go, ooh. But Okay. Yeah, I, I don't see. know. <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean you are very successful, I would say. I mean, rose water is yeah. all over the place, isn't it? Is it? I, I hope
3: so. I'm see it's weird because with Rosewater, like I've been, I've always been very lucky that every game I've done so far has done better than the last one, and I'm hoping that the trend continues with Rosewater. I'm, I'm confident in Rosewater. Like it's weird because every game, every commercial game I've done, there's always been a little something where I'm like, mm, like a Golden Wake. It was a great. I-, I loved making it because it was about. I grew up in Miami and it was about Miami's history and it was about some, uh, the subject matter was very interesting to me and very personal to me, but as far as like a a mass market appeal, you know, it's like a a history game about a real estate agent and it's about like the history stuff, it's a hard sell, right? Like, it's not, and I knew it was going to be a hard sell. But I was very happy that I was able to make the game. So that that was kind of the uh, thing. Shardlight it was I had I was more confident about it, but I still kind of was like, mm, I don't know if like what I want to do is if I'm like good enough to like get across what I wanted to do and like as far as like the writing and stuff. and so I was kind of like I, I thought Shardlight would do fine, but I was still kind of like eh. Lamplight City, I thought it would do okay. But I also was like, well, I think some people might not like the whole no inventory thing and the whole like you can you can make mistakes and but it's okay thing. and and sure enough, that happened, but not to the scale that I thought. But Rosewater is the first game where I'm like, yeah, I don't I mean I could be completely naive and completely wrong and overlooking something. But I'm like, there's nothing about this game aside from maybe the fact that it's a western and you don't see very many Western adventure games. There's nothing about it that makes me pause and think, oh, are people gonna like this? I think people will like it. I'm pretty confident in the game. I think it's a good game. And I don't just say that because it's me. Like I've had other people working on it that I know will make it a good game. Like I'm very proud of the fact that I was able to like get an amazing voice cast and work mm. with union people and get like famous voice actors in my game. And, like, I think as a game it's going to be really good. It's just one of the things I think, too, is because of the pandemic, it's that I haven't really had a chance to get people's feedback. Like, I showed the game at Adventure X, and that was the first time I had ever shown it in public in the three years I had been developing it. And that's never happened before, because even... Even with other stuff, like even if I hadn't gone to other places, like there were local events here in New York where I would take my game and showcase it. And, you know, just to have that face to face feedback of people playing it and getting an idea of how people react to it, I hadn't had that yet. Mm. So it was terrifying when I first got it at Adventure X, but thankfully everybody seemed to like it and yeah so so i'm i'm hoping it'll do well i'm confident in it and i and i hope people like it and i think people will like it but i can't be 100 percent certain because you never know you know it might come out i might say oh yeah it's coming out this day and then all of a sudden it's like well uh monkey island 6 is also coming out this day right like (laughs) you never know these things just so so it could come out and like get completely ignored it could come out and it might be a a hit i'm hoping it'll be a hit i would love to have a hit i've never had a hit before (laughs) it would be nice to not have to worry about making another game for a couple of months at least but yeah as far as it being everywhere i don't know i don't know if people are talking about it i hope people are talking about it the the other thing too is that i've been working on it for so long that i'm afraid people have forgotten about it so that's why i I
0: mean trying to shout about
3: it and and you know
0: but I mean, I mean, you are not you are not working on it like uh, like Julia Milanata is on it, the <laughs> Crimson Diamond. She's working on it since since twenty oh seven. That's true, uh, but but Julia is also very good about marketing. I mean, she does a weekly
3: stream. She's always tweeting about it. She's <laughs> like she's making sure that she is she stays in the in your face. And I'm trying to do that too. But
0: yeah, well. You you mentioned Lamplight City, and the yeah. way how I came across it was actually that um, Gregor Müller um, announced his Kickstarter for Case um, ah, eighteen ninety nine, yes. and in in many many interviews of um, podcasts and uh, Twitch streams where they interviewed Gregor Müller about his game, everybody was like, "So did you take Lampert?" Uh, Lamplight City as a role model for your game, oh. so everybody was mentioning your game, and and then of course, then of course, when when I got the demo of Steam, Steam was like other games you might like, you know, <laughs> and then there was Lamplight City. I'm like, okay, I've heard this name before. So, the algorithm, or as to say, the community, the adventure community, you are present there. I mean, well, that's good. That's good to know The algorithm is doing its job. <laughs> yeah, and, and the community is there because the game is compared to Lamplight City. Hmm. Um, so you are kind of a role model for oh. certain adventure people. That's, well, that's, that's very what, nice. I met him I at Adventure
3: this. X. I met him at Adventure X and it was very nice. It was very nice to talk to. I wish I had had more time to go around and actually play the demos and things, but from what I've seen of Casebook 1899, it looks great. It's also another thing where he's he's using the very personal history of, of his... I presume he lives in... Uh, Le- it's Leipzig, right?
0: Leipzig, yeah. Leipzig, yeah.
3: yeah. I, uh, and yeah, just like incorporating that real world stuff that you are familiar with, that's, that's really cool. I would love to yeah. see more of that in games.
0: Well, I mean, I see similarity is like the notebook, mm. well, but, then, mean, but then, you can't have a detective game.
3: Yeah, notebooks in <laughs> detective games are like, you know, exactly. if you don't have a notebook in a detective game, people are like, what are you
0: doing? So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually, right now, I'm I'm watching all the series, all the, um, well, from the TV, Columbo, so actually, oh, yeah, I, uh, I, I, one last thing, and then he turns it around. And yeah, one more thing.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: one one more thing. I yeah. on,
3: my Peter Falck ends up uh, sounding like Gilbert Gottfried, so I won't do a Peter, Peter Falck. Yeah,
0: yeah. But it's, it's, <laughs> it's very nice. So, yes, of course, I'm aware that um, as a creator, you don't get directly feedback from other people out there despite you get some emails or something but you honestly I think as a creator you honestly don't know what the general perspective is out there I mean you probably see statistics from your publisher how well the game sold and I mean you are you are active on the steam forums and replying to there but I guess you never get the full picture well, Unlike and, somebody who yeah. directly addresses you.
3: Yeah, and even with all those statistics and things, it's impossible to take those and say, okay, well, this happened, mm-hmm. therefore that means that this will happen. It's, it's completely random at times. It just, it, yeah, it makes no sense. But, uh, you know, and, and it's hard. It's hard not to be in this bubble as you're designing it. Uh, it, and the longer you work on a project, the more you start wondering, is this any good? Have I been wasting my last three years or more on this? It, actually, it's been four years now. I'm like, have I, have I wasted the last four years? But the good thing about it is that every every so often you hit a milestone. And at least for me, I get excited again. Like when we finished writing all the dialogue. And I started actually putting the dialogue into the game and playing scenes that before just said things like, you know, one character would say, now I am going to do this. okay, now I'm going to do this. You know, having actual dialogue and actually being able to pick the conversation options and do the things that got me excited. And then when we recorded the voices and I edited the voice and I started editing the voices because I still haven't even gotten halfway through editing the voices uh, and putting those in. That was really exciting because it was like, wow, this is actually a game now. And right now, as we speak, well, not as we speak, because we're speaking now, but earlier today and after we finish speaking, um, I'm I'm getting close to having a fully playable alpha, which means the game is playable from start to finish and has it doesn't have all of the final assets in because I've realized one of those game dev things I've learned is I used to toss around beta testing like nothing, but Very important distinction between alpha and beta. Alpha is you can play through the whole game, but there are still things missing. Beta is it's close to finished. Um, And then obviously release candidate is everything is in. But I am close to having an alpha build of the game, which I have had for a while, but alpha build without like the dialogue. So you could finish the game, but there wasn't, if you didn't, if you weren't me, You couldn't understand what was going on because there was no context for it which is why i didn't have anyone test it so so once i get that done i'm i'm anxiously awaiting the ability to send it out to people to finally test and see what the feedback is so yeah
0: that was actually my question i was going to ask what's (laughs) the general well planning you have to go into from a a start of the game (laughs) from the idea to finish? Um, it depends
3: on the game, I guess. It also, uh, I for me, like, the last two games I've done have been very non-linear. Um, Shardlight and The Golden Wake were way more just, this is the story, this is it. So it was just kind of like, usually I start off by designing. I, I'm old school, so I have a notebook here. And I ah. write all of my notes in the notebook. So I do a I do a general skeleton of the story and and the the story beats and I divide it into acts and try and keep it as as close to like the three act structure or whatever like in a movie. And then I think about like the locations and what happens and how you get from the beginning to the end of each act and then sort of fill in, wise like. The puzzles and the things like that and the characters and and all that stuff. So then once I have a a fairly solid outline on paper, then I start building the game in Adventure Game Studio with placeholder assets. So once I know like what the backgrounds are, I'll do a really rough sketch of the background. You know, I'll put in the characters. I'll use sprites from previous games um, and I'll just I'll just mock it up so that you can play it as soon as possible. And then, once I get tired of doing that, then I then I start maybe thinking about once I'm confident that I I get that I have what I want, then I'm then I'll draw like the first background or the first character or something just to see how it will actually look. So I always like to get like my first room in as soon as possible. <clears throat> and then once that happens, um, then I start worrying about like. The, the dialogue and the puzzles and programming everything and and then usually I, I do the art along I usually just kind of like as I'm building the game I'll do some art and then put it in as I go sometimes I used to write the dialogue as I went also but for rosewater i I left it until the until the game was built to then go back and do the script so that it could be edited and i wouldn't have to because with lamplight city i did all the all the dialogue in the engine and then i had to copy it all and paste it into a document to edit it or to have someone edit it and then i had to copy all that and paste it back into the game so to avoid doing that twice i just wrote it externally and then just put in the final version all at once so um but yeah, so just kind of going between those things until I get until some one day you wake up and it's like, oh, the game's done. Okay, <laughs> it's weird. It's a weird process, and sometimes it feels like you don't get anything done, and then you look back and you're like, oh, actually, I, I did do a
0: lot today. But yeah, how about the music? The you music didn't I always that.
3: No, the music I always work with a composer, <laughs> so uh, usually I. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk with the composer and give them a build to play and kind of give us a, a list of what I think we need. And um yeah, depending on the composer, they'll either get me stuff right away, start sending me sketches, or they'll like put it all on spreadsheets and work on stuff, and then send me all a bunch of stuff all at once. Or Yeah, it it depends on the composer. But at some point, I get the music and I put it in, and then I'm like, oh,
0: great, it has music. This is great. Okay, so it isn't as complex as other people might think, you know, like giving theme ideas or strict, uh, you know, regulations of what kind of music style you want. I mean, yeah, no, no, no. I, I usually, I'm usually pretty open
3: to letting the composer just do whatever they want like if there's anything technical that needs to be done like for example if i'm like okay well in this scene i want to have one track but then i also want to have slight variations of it so when you go like say inside this uh, other room it's the same track but then it, it crossfades so that it's this track with a different instrumentation or something like that then like i'll talk about i'll talk with them more in detail about certain stuff like that but otherwise it's just like come up with something and i'll let you know if it's if i like it (laughs) and i've never i can't really think of i think there was one track on lamplight city where i was like yeah no this is this doesn't this isn't working let's try something else um but usually it's I, i i've been very lucky that all the composers i've worked with so far have been amazing and they always do an amazing job so
0: so that's and the said, only thing movies. you don't do. The only thing you don't do is music.
3: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So it's like, and I, and I never do the poster art either. <laughs> Someone else always does the 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 poster slash key art for the game.
0: Awesome. So
3: yeah, awesome. It's nice. It's nice having one thing, or more than one thing in the. But it's nice having a major thing that I don't have to worry about and can actually be excited for and just like you know wonder about and then I get it and it's like oh it's 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 a treat for me like I got some nice music.
0: (laughs) How did you get your ideas about the grand theme of the games? I mean why did you decide to go for western theme with Rosewater?
3: Well, that that kind of came organically from Lamplight City. Um, and Lamplight City came about because <clears throat> I had done... I mean, Ben Jordan was basically very influenced by Gabriel Knight, um, the Gabriel Knight series. And, you know, I, I liked the idea of mixing like local legends and things with fiction. So like, you know, Ben Jordan wasn't about, like, the monster of the week. Like, oh, let's go here and fight vampires or whatever. It was about specific uh, monsters or paranormal entities uh, related to those locations. So I had done, like, the paranormal uh, investigator thing with Ben Jordan. And then with the Golden Wake, it was like, okay, well, I want to do this history thing. That's, That's cool. And then Shardlight actually was going to be about the Black Plague. But then... When I talked about it with Ben, we decided to make it future post-apocalyptic plague instead. So that was a different theme also. So I guess in working on that, I get, uh, on those games, I just kind of wanted to go back to the mystery thing, um, the detective thing. And then I thought, well, how about if I try doing like a classic, like 19th century detective thing? Um, which that's what I was doing initially with Lamplight City. And then when I pitched it and said, to, and told Dave that I, uh, what I was going to do with, he was like, well, why don't you make it steampunk? And I was like, okay, sure. I can look into steampunk and see. So I, I, I made it steampunk, but more grounded in reality steampunk, which is why I said earlier that we, it wasn't quite the vision that Dave had. Cause I was, I was more about like drawing the parallels to the actual industrial revolution um but it gave me the opportunity to create this whole alternate history so instead of being stuck because i felt like with what held me back with a golden wake was that i was, uh very much it was very important to me to be as historically accurate as possible which i think was to the game's detriment because there was a very human story in that game but i think it took a back seat to like oh well i need to include this airplane woman right cuz she's historically accurate um and i know i'm bouncing around a little but i'll g- i'm getting to the answer here so 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 i had the i didn't want to be restrained by historical accuracy i didn't want to set it like in victorian london so i it, it gave me the opportunity to create this alternate world where it was like i want to set it in this city which is basically like the greatest hits of 19th century detective literature so it's a little bit of london it's a little bit of new orleans it's a little bit of of new york it's a little bit of like you know savannah and so so i made this whole world and i was like this is really cool i'd love to see more of it and then i thought well what else is of this time period 19th century what else can i explore and then i realized well the old west because it's the exact same time period it's just instead of being this you know dark secluded not secluded but like dark claustrophobic city now i can explore like the wide open desolate plains and spaces and stuff so it was like like a nice little counterbalance so then i thought well okay let's see what the old west looks like in this alternate world and that's where i got the idea for rosewater from And then, of course, I was like, well, what do I want this story to be? Do I want it to be, you know, uh, 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 what were the, I had three major ideas. One was a treasure hunt. The other one was a revenge story. And the other one was, uh, I think it was rescuing someone. And then I was like, well, why not all three? Why don't we have it be like a treasure hunt? And then you also can choose whether you go rescue someone or go get revenge. But then I was like, that's too much. I'm just going to make it a treasure hunt. So so then I scaled it back, and I was like, "Okay, well, this will be the story." And so, I mean, there could
0: always be a rosewater two, right? I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, maybe. <laughs> you, could make it, you could make it a series, you know, and then have a rosewater three with the other idea, you know? Yeah, I mean,
3: I I, I already feel like I've I've created this world of I call it the world of Vespuccia. That's my my franchise name on Steam. And I feel like I have at least a couple more games in this world um, for right now until I lose interest or until something else comes along. But I, I definitely want to keep exploring other parts of it, um, or go back to other parts. I don't know. We'll see. I have to finish Rosewater first, then I can think about what I'm doing next. Even would you of...
0: really, would you really change genre and do some something else and and Click Adventures? Oh. No,
3: when I say something else, I don't mean changing genre. I mean, I mean, just another game.
0: Hmm.
3: Although if (laughs) I did change genres, I would want to do a cinematic platformer like uh, Flashback or Another World. Oh, Flashback.
0: Flashback. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely still want to do a narrative game. um, But I would be it would be interesting to to do like. A different mechanic like a platformer or uh, or something although i don't have the programming skills to to do that like combat or anything like that so i'd have to mm. use well
0: skills. i didn't i don't know if it was flashback or another world i think it was flashback where there is a diary out there of the lead programmer um she was from um the publisher was interplay for the Super Nintendo version mm. of Flashback, and she wrote like h- how she asked for a Super FX chip, sh- and they were like, no, too expensive. <laughs> and then she was asking for how about getting getting more memory on the cartridge, so I'm like, no, that's also too expensive. <laughs> So this is why the that why the Super Nintendo version of this game is so crappy compared to oh. the Mega Drive and all the other versions, because she didn't get the necessary hardware in the ships or, or the memory in the cartridge for the Super Nintendo to make it smooth and... Oh, wow. uh, um, well, you know, high frame rate mm-hmm. and uh, pretty enjoyable to play compared to the other versions. So sometimes... It's not about skills, sometimes it's about lacking resources, you know. True. Um, yeah. Yeah, I
3: played I played flashback on the Genesis or Mega Drive, and um, I remember it being good. I never played it on PC, but I, I think I saw it and I was like, wow, this is a lot smoother than it was on Sega. But yeah, I never yeah, had a Super Nintendo, name. so
0: Lucky you. It's <laughs> interesting. Yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned you mentioned Atari and yeah. and and the Mega Drive, and and I was the total opposite. My first computer was a Commodore 64, okay. and and I had an NES and Super NES. Okay. Um. So because well that is probably because Commodores uh, was, I guess. The Commodore 64 was a bit more spread here in Germany, and also Sega was. Twice as expensive in Germany mm. compared to Nintendo. So I remember, I remember that for for one for one Game Gear game, you could get two Game Boy games. Oh wow! And then of yeah, course you I, were like, okay, well know. then then you go for Nintendo <laughs> you know? I, I, Yeah, I don't remember because obviously
3: you know you're a kid, so you have no idea how money works or how much anything is. But I always got the impression that Nintendo was more expensive than Sega here in the US but so I don't know that that's necessarily true because I remember the game gear I guess cuz the game gear was in color so it was probably more expensive than the game boy but I remember the game boy was like $98 and that sounded like a lot of money back then but um I think we had, I don't remember if we had a Commodore 64 in my in in school in one of my uh one of the computer classes we had apple 2e or apple II something because obviously that was like the that was the default but there was one computer because i remember we played midwinter on it and that game was really hard we also had a we also had a boxed uh copy of the colonel's request funnily enough but we never figured out how to make it run so oh, i didn't play it until many many years later
0: <laughs> awesome awesome Super, yeah, so um so now nowadays you are are um as I said living off your games, so I wonder, is something like I mean, recently a lot of press is coming out from for, for example, key reseller sites, you know, mm. reselling steam keys and so on. Is that something that affects you or is it that like I have my publisher taking care of all that and giving me the money, the income and stuff, so it's not really your problem? Yeah, yeah.
3: I also try not to think about it too much because it's just one of those things that you can't really do anything about. And, you know, if the big companies can't do anything about it, the little guys are not going to be able to do anything about it either. So, I mean, if people... Want to pirate my games? Then I,
0: like I said, there's nothing
3: I can do about I mean, it. I, I mean, I mean, they
0: would have. But hey, I mean, I mean, it's not pirating, right? You are just getting well, no, a, a key true. early, um, well cheaper from other places. Right, right. But right, of right. course, but of course, when you when you buy keys from third party sites, you never know where they are sourced from. Right. Did did the did the publisher? And the creator actually gain anything from that. Right, right, right. <clears throat> uh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. So though so, um, yeah, I guess that is actually the thing, right?
3: Right, right, right. Yeah. Sorry, I, I, I mixed the two up. Yeah. I, oh I, just,
0: I mean I mean <laughs> I just, no, I mean not really mixed up. I mean there were people from the industry stating I would rather like to to for you to pirate my game than buying buying a key from a third-party marketplace yeah i mean i you know i i
3: the thing is that like yeah like you say you never know what this where they're getting them from and like if the people want to buy steam keys from a third-party reseller they're taking the risk of whatever that involves um so yeah i don't know I, I, honestly, I don't think about it that much, so, or at all, <laughs> really, so I don't have much of an answer.
0: Huh. So, so how is it with, with Heidelberg Application Systems? <laughs> I keep um, telling
3: them that they need to shorten it and make it snappier and just say, Ash Games, which I think they're starting to, but yeah, it's kind of a mouthful to say Application Systems Heidelberg. But yeah, <laughs> Ash, like Application Systems Heidelberg, Ash Games. Much, mm. much easier. Mm. But uh, sorry, your question
0: was how is it with them? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, before before I asked that, actually, interesting that you mention it. There is this emulation RPG system called Mist, and mm-hmm. that and that uh, system actually made by a German guy, and in German, Mist can mean shit or crap. Oh, okay. So it's it's always <laughs> it's always, it's, always, it's always like. You are German, you know it's it's a bad name, but you still pick it, you know. Yeah. So who knows? Perhaps they were like, Who cares about um long long names, you know? Right. Especially application systems. Yeah. Games? Yeah. Does that really
3: fit, you know? Right. Well that's the thing. Like they were they didn't. They've been around since 1985, and they haven't always been... They only started publishing indie games. I think the first indie game that they published was... Or at least the first indie adventure game that they published was Unforeseen Incidents. In... Wait, was it Unforeseen Incidents? There might have been one before... No, I'm stupid. Nelly Koodalot. Nelly Koodalot was the first game that they published. Adventure game that they published. Um, Because they had done other games also. But I mean, they've they've basically been around for a long time, and they used to be the publisher for pretty much every game that came through Germany. They published it on the Mac, so anything from like Escape from I, I saw that I was I was at Volker, who's the head of Application Systems. I went to his house and I saw his home office, and like they had everything from Escape from Monkey Island to uh, Gosh, I don't remember. Like, everything missed. (laughs) Um, Yeah, like any game you could think of, if it came out in Germany on Mac, Application Systems Heidelberg probably published it. So that was pretty cool.
0: So yeah, they've been great. Um, They've been yeah. And and my my original question was, um, I wonder because you separated with your publisher friend because you had a different vision for the game, and now mm. you go to a total stranger <laughs> um, a publishing company yeah, yeah. in a different country yeah. and you are totally happy with them. How does that fit together? You would, you would think that a, a friend is more reasonable, somebody you know and worked with for a long That's, time? For me personally, the games that I made at the time
3: published with Wajidai, Wajidai was the right fit for them. I feel like now the games I'm making Application systems is a better fit for them, (laughs) Um, which is not to say, like I said, that one's better than the other. It's just I've grown and I feel like I've sort of I had to kind of restart because when I was doing freeware games, I had a pretty good audience. Like people knew me from the Ben Jordan games, but when you ask people to pay for your games, it's completely different. So I had to build up my audience again from kind of from scratch when I went commercial but I was doing it under the under the umbrella of Wajidai. And I kind of feel like I've gotten to the point now where I've been able to step out from under that umbrella and build my own thing. And it's not the same... Like, Wajidai is a very recognizable brand in indie adventure development or in the, in the indie adventure game scene. So it's... To have another publisher that's kind of in the background and, you know, they still have, they're still well known, but it's more, okay, this is my game. It just happens to be published by this person rather than, oh, it's a studio game and it happens to be made by so-and-so. That's that's where I'm at right now. And not that I'm doing this for fame or recognition or anything, but I feel like my growth has come to a point where I I'm better off doing that.
0: It's different stage of your adventure creating career. My di-
3: yes, it's a different stage of my adventure creating adventure.
0: <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, this is what's interesting, I mean, if if you ask to other, I mean, if you interview other people like Rigor Müller and stuff, they actually tell you that I don't want a publisher because I don't want to have this problem that I have to change the publisher or we have a disagreement. So I'd rather make a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo or any other crowdfunding campaign mm and collect money from there, and then I'm totally independent. Mm. And um, so they rather have the hassle, as I said, like sending out press emails and stuff, than than having somebody trying to influence their style of a game. So Mm. I guess there's, there's a pro and a contra point there. I mean, you could always say, okay, Published games are better or or um the um the indie indie crowdfunded games are better. It it really really depends. I mean they are they, they I mean even when I interviewed Gregor Müller he said like he totally thinks Steam is toxic and stuff. And I was like, yeah. Well you shouldn't care. I mean that is where your your where your main audience is coming from. After the Kickstarter has been finished. People will continue buying your game but on Steam. And you can't have the sentiment of saying I want to stay away from the biggest gaming platform for sales out there, you know? So
3: Yeah, I understand that sentiment, but it's it's kind of a it's a catch twenty two, really, because yeah, yeah it, Steam has a lot of problems, but it is also the biggest platform. So you have to deal it's, with that. It's
0: interesting that, that so many creators mentioned biggest big issues, but me as a customer, I don't see them. I don't see I well, don't see yeah. the
3: issues. Of course, of course you don't.
0: The thing I think
3: the main thing with Steam is just the unfairness of I mean this is opening a whole can of worms, but I, I don't want to say unfairness, but it's it is unfair. The cut that they take, like it used to be uh, when it, back in the day when Steam was first starting out and it was very difficult to get your game on Steam, I could understand the thirty percent cut because they were it was an exclusive thing, you were getting a lot more attention, you were getting you guaranteed you know front page at least all the time. So you had a lot more sales. so okay, fine. But now, like first green light came around, and that opened it up a little bit more but now that you just have to pay $100 and you can put whatever you want on there they're they're not curating and even more so now with the algorithm stuff where it's like you have such a hard time getting seen because there's so much market saturation and yet they're still taking a 30% cut and they only lower your cut if your game sells you know X million dollars like if it sells over a million dollars I think it goes down to like 10% or something like that and it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense, right? It's like you should be taking you should be taking more of a cut if the game is making more money, right? Doesn't that That makes more sense? So there's that. Um, but yeah, uh, mm. but but to go back uh, a second to what you were saying before, I also don't want to give the impression because every publisher is different. I don't want to give you give the impression that like a publisher automatically means that they're going to come and say, no, you have to change things. Like some, some publishers do that. Others are more hands off, but again, it all depends on that's, that's why, you know, when you're looking for a publisher, which is what I learned when I was looking for a new publisher is that you, you really have to find, you can't just like, sometimes you do have to cast your net and see who, who bites to use the fishing analogy, but um, you also have to do your research and figure out, who would be a good fit for the type of game you're making? Because if it's a publisher that is known for, you know, platformers or first person shooters, you're not going to necessarily be successful pitching an adventure game to them. Whereas a, a publisher that's more into indie games or narrative games, even I guess indie games is <laughs> is not the right thing. A publisher that's more into narrative games might consider a point and click adventure. Um, so.
0: Or you are a publisher like T.H. Gnodic, who is actually buying um, IPs from old DOS games all around the genres, no matter what.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, every publisher is different.
0: (laughs) So that is like, like, oh, now we got Alone in the Dark. Like, why? (laughs) You're not known for horror (laughs) games. Oh, well, we got the chance to buy the IP. Why not? You know? They got they got Comanche and 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 um, um, other games and like totally totally not fitting the genre. So they are really going everywhere. Um, Maybe they just like collecting trophies and putting them on their shelves. I mean I mean it's nice. I mean finally <clears throat> I mean I'm doing those interviews at Gamescom and stuff in the business area. I'm like wow the game got a successor after twenty years. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean I mean I mean. You have the problem that many IPs are just getting forgotten after a while. I mean, mm-hmm. for example, in two days on my birthday, um, oh. I will Happy have my early next. birthday. Thank you. I will have my next interview guest, which will be Frankly, pack-y, you know? Oh no. Yeah. Way. Uh, and and yes, and you I mean, I told it like ten people, and you are the first person having this reaction. Anybody <laughs> else like is like Who is frankly Paki? I saw Uh, him at... uh, Command and Conger. I'm like, what is Command and Conger? Oh wow,
3: that's really, that's interesting. That's funny you say that because I saw him at MAGFest uh, a couple of years ago Um, and he was like, he, he gave a talk and then he also performed with his band. But everybody in the audience for his talk, was like dressed up like command and conquer and afterwards everyone everyone was like asking him command and conquer questions and I raised my hand I'm like could you talk about what it was like doing the score for the Blade Runner adventure game and he was like oh wow that's that's nobody ever asked me about that so that was I felt like a real adventure nerd and then
0: afterwards <laughs> I was like your score on Kyrani was great. He's like, oh yeah, man.
3: So that was pretty funny.
0: <laughs> so now I know what to ask in the interview. Yeah, in yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks yeah. for that. Anything nope. that's not Command and Conquer, he'll push Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I just realized everybody <laughs> of my gaming friends being 30 years and younger, mm. they totally don't know about Command and Conquer. Given that the last that the last entry in the series was in 2010. Everybody forgot about it, so. But but you are the same age group as I am, so, of course I'm you know. Sh- yeah, yeah. I feel yeah. like I'm
3: I'm older. I'm probably a little older than you, but yeah.
0: Really? <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, doing doing the math, you were you said like. I, I was mean, ten I'm years old in
3: 1992. I was
0: born in 1982. I'm 41. So. You see? Yeah, and I'm getting 41 in two days. So. Oh well, there you go. Okay, so we are yeah. practically the same age. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't look younger because I didn't shave today. So if I did, uh, I really no, no, look, would look. I improve. would have. I would have guessed you were like thirty-five. Wow. No. <laughs> but the, the problem is just that, as I said, IPs are getting. Um, they are forgotten quickly. That's mm. that's the thing. So, if if you make a new adventure IP or whatever. Nope. you probably should make sure that people remember you so you have yeah. to stay in the loop as a creator you know hmm. so not so so that it doesn't happen that people uh, um in a certain age group don't suddenly know who you are i mean hmm. you know um but but i guess this adventure game system scene is is its own little yeah in the way, yeah
3: know? it is it's it's always really hard to break out and get more into the mainstream i guess um but yeah that's the thing too that i've realized a lot also is like people who are they get excited and they make adventure games and like it's i've seen this a lot with a lot of recent projects Um, and obviously I don't want to name names because I, I love that people are making adventure games and they should keep making adventure games. But people who grew up playing those games are the ones that are making them, and a lot of the times they don't stop to think about how completely alien the interface of most of them are. Like, people talk about, oh, the verb interface, and yeah, the verb interface is kind of intuitive, but it's really, really hard to, if you've never played an adventure game before and you come in and you see like either the verb interface or or like the icons, like the Sierra style icons and you, you don't know that you have to like right click to cycle through them or even like the 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 two button interface where it's like left click to interact, right click to look. Nobody ever right clicks. And it's like you have to tutorialize these things or nobody knows how to play the games. So... So, that's one thing that I've noticed uh, that people don't take into account a lot of the time.
0: That's actually a good point you mentioned that because Julia Minamata, the first thing that happens when you play the demo of her game is like, Do you want to have a tutorial? I'm like, Okay, sure. And then you spend like 20 minutes learning how to operate your your character and how to give commands and stuff. So, it's actually pretty neat that you've thought about that. I mean, I mean, even I am not a person from the EGA era. When 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 I got my first PC in '93, we had VGA already. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. I I the I played like I said before. I played King's Quest IV.
3: That was probably one of the only contemporary EGA adventures I played because I played all the earlier King's Quests way after that. Once VGA was already a thing, I never was like. Oh, I can, I'm only playing this because this is
0: all that
3: exists. <laughs> there is no, there is no VGA yet.
0: I Exactly, I exactly. Yeah, exactly. So. yeah but, but I feel good now, now that I'm speaking to somebody who isn't like 10 years younger than me, <laughs> has no idea what I'm talking about. I'm like, <laughs> how can you not know, frankly, Paki, he's like, he's like very much known. I'm like, no idea, Command & Conquer, what is that? I'm like, what? How is that possible? Yeah, but but I see I see I see. If you, if you are in your 20s or 30s, you are more into Fortnite, PUBG, whatever, but not yeah. but not Probably. in but not in real-time strategy games from from the 90s that well made the genre. But but I guess those people are even not the age group of your target group where they would go to Steam and buy Rosewater to play, you know? Probably yeah. not.
2: Probably.
0: Do you actually have an idea what your target group is, your age group? Do I you have an age target group? I think the age, yeah, I think it's pretty much my age group.
3: It's pretty much like 35 to 50, I would say. Basically, the people that grew up playing these adventure games. Um and as i've said i've tried to break out of the uh, break out into the mainstream but there's only so much that you can do you know that's i've tried to to simplify it and and i always make a point to when i'm testing like find people who either have never played or actively hate adventure games just to get their perspective and and figure out how to make it more of a mass appeal thing but yeah i never know i mean i've met people who are like in their 20s who tell me that they've played my games and it's like oh oh that's great good i mean one thing that i've been seeing a lot too on twitter is like especially with the new monkey island is like you know people who are my age who now have kids are are showing their kids the games that they grew up playing and so the cycle repeats itself which is good because that means that there'll always be an audience for (laughs) for my games
0: um yeah so yeah yeah yeah, it's 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 interesting. Um before before I'm before I saw um well, Lamplight City and A Golden Wake, I even didn't know about Adventure Game System. So it was right. actually like uh, well and and Gregor Müller of course. Um right, but, right, right. but before all that I have never never heard of not never heard of that, you know. Interesting. I mean I, I was aware of um you know um Sierra mm. and Lucasfilm Games and all those little indie studios perhaps. Mm-hmm. But but never never thought that you would that we would have like a toolkit for creating adventure games and then actually make a living out of that like you do. Yeah, I mean it's it's really interesting
3: how that community
0: formed and
3: it had its I mean it's it's still around. There's actually still people who are updating the engine, which is amazing and fantastic, because otherwise it would it would not be able to do a lot of the things that it's able to do now. But just to think that it was made by one guy all those years ago, and then he just said, okay, one, one day he was just like, all right, I'm done, it's open source now, you guys have fun with it. And then people actually kept working on it. But, I mean, that community especially in the in the early to mid 2000s that was a great community like i am very lucky i got to travel a whole bunch because they used to have a um a yearly meetup of people in the community on the forums and stuff and you know i've been i've been to greece i've been to italy i've been to the uk a few times i've been to uh can't remember where else but I went to like eight or nine of those meetups and it was like it was that was the summer trip and it was just like we're a bunch of nerds who like adventure games (laughs) and yet somehow I'm having these amazing life experiences like it's it's mind-blowing to me and yeah like a lot of the people have stopped posting on the forums and I've lost touch with a lot of them but like these are people who are like the lifelong friends really And just the the type of friendships where it's like, oh, I haven't talked to you in five years. Oh, well, let's hang out and like, oh, it's like no time ever passed, right?
0: So, yeah. I will will keep sending you bugs if you don't feel disturbed by me doing that. (laughs) By all means. I just
3: hope that there comes a point where you stop finding bugs. (laughs) That's the goal. But that's never happened. It's always nice to have a fresh pair of eyes and especially a fresh pair of eyes that's good at finding bugs.
0: So, where can people find your games, your stuff?
3: Yourself? Well, you can, my, myself, yes. I used to have a website, but it's been down for a long time because the servers in Germany have locked me out, <laughs> funnily enough. My website's also in Germany for some reason. Uh, but that aside from that, let's start with the real answer. So, you can find me on Steam. You can find my games on Steam. Just look up Grundislav Games. Or if you want to play Shard Light, you can look up Shard Light because that's under Wajidai Games. Uh, My games are also on uh, on GOG.com. You can find the Ben Jordan games on itch.io. I do a... As far as me, uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Grundislav Games. G-R-U-N-D-I-S-L-A-V Games. I'm also on Mastodon as Grundislav Games. Um, I have a Discord, which... I don't know how you find Discord servers, but it's the Grundislav Games Discord server. I have a link to it in my Twitter handle. I also have a... Give uh, a link to that, no worries. Okay. I also have a newsletter, which I haven't updated for about six months, and I keep meaning to, but I never get to it. Uh, if you go to tinyletter.com slash Grundislav, you can subscribe to what is supposed to be my monthly newsletter, but I'll I'll get back to it eventually perhaps
0: this interview will be in reason to make perhaps. a new, new newsletter yeah
3: yeah yeah i have i have so much news and yet i have it's funny because it's like i have to write my newsletter and then i was like well not much happened today but i'll see you next month and now like like the last six months so much has happened and i haven't i've been too busy to write the newsletter the irony of that is lost on me
0: and and i'm put to fault here because i steal time from you doing this interview no as well.
3: no no it's it's fine um where else? Oh, uh, I also do a weekly development stream on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Grundeslav every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern time, Wild West Wednesday, where I do a Rosewater development stream for a couple of hours. So that would be... Uh, wait, we just had daylight savings time. So we're... the I don't know. Are we... Am I... You're seven hours ahead now or six hours ahead? Six time? should be. Yeah, Well, right now it's 10 it's p.m. About- Okay, right now it's about to be 10 p.m., or it is 10 p.m. It is 10 p.m. One minute,
0: uh, one minute, and then it's 10 p.m. And
3: it'll be 10 p.m. Okay, so you're actually five hours ahead right now, because we just had our daylight savings time, so our clocks went forward. So uh, that would be, right now, it would be uh, 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 6 p.m. Central European time, or (laughs) 7, once you all... Have your daylight savings time. That's when Wild West Wednesday happens. Switch.tv slash Grundeslav. Uh what else? What else? What else? I think that's everything. Yes, that's where all my social media and everything is. I also have Instagram, but I, I I'm Grundeslav on Instagram, but I don't really post much game related stuff on there. Sometimes I do, but not often. So
0: hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks <for> a lot. <laughs> Talk to you then, write Take every care. email you. Bye-bye. All right, bye. <laughs>